Thank you for tuning in to our final episode of Lunar Cat's Van Life series. Today we're going to join Stephanie Maybe. We're going to explore her Lobo Westphalia and we're going to talk about some cool conservation work that she's been involved in in West Michigan. Join me in touch and base with Stephanie. All right. Thank you for tuning in to Lunar Cats. Uh, we are here with Stephanie Maybe, who's currently living in the greater Grand Rapids area. Um, we're here to talk about her Lobo Westphalia and also some cool art that she's up to making. How's it going, Steph? It's going great. Thanks for having me. I'm yeah. I was actually trying to remember how we met each other, and I actually really don't remember exactly. I think we met through bikes. I think it was um, maybe you were, I was maybe on a group ride or like spoke folks. Yeah. I, I very specifically remembering remember going to spoke folks and you working, um, you were a bike mechanic and I thought it was so cool. Yes. Okay. I was thinking, I was thinking maybe it was like Wednesday night rides or something. It could be. I think um, maybe she rides. She rides her own way. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I read a lot of group ride for like pyramid scheme. Yes, totally. That, that, I think that might be it. And then I remember seeing you work on a bike and me being like, yes, I, I also want to learn how to do that. That's so cool. (laughs) Nice. And you mountain bike also too, right? I do. I am in love with it. It's something I tried for the first time at 26, I think. And it was, I couldn't wipe the smile off my face. I was like, why have I not been doing this my entire life? (laughs) It's been so long since I've gone mountain biking, but I also felt that way when I did it for the first time. It's super fun. Yeah, it's incredible. So uh, we've been emailing back and forth for a few weeks now, and you mentioned that your so your van's been kind of out of commission for a little while, and you finally yeah. found someone to work on it. So what's what's been the story with that? Yeah, so... <clears throat> I knew that it, the you could feel the van r- not running its best in like 2019 that that summer, and I took it in I think sometime in 2020, and they said it was running on three out of four cylinders, and that the engine like I needed a new engine essentially. Um, <clears throat> so I. No, I, actually, I take that back. I drove it in 2020. 2021 is the year that I didn't drive it. Um, so I put it in storage because I thought, you know, it's going to take a while. But I, if I'm going to replace the engine because I love this van and I'm not ready to part with it, then I will just have to, like, store money away and not use it for a summer. And then I'll by end of summer, I'll be able to maybe get it in somewhere. Then I had a friend reach out and say that he's replacing his um, van with a Subaru engine, which was going to be my plan as well. And that was quoted around, German Auto quoted me like five to 10 grand to replace an engine. Which is why I was like, I have to store money over the summer because you have to live life and then have this additional cost. And I didn't want to dip into any savings. So um, and then a friend was like, oh, well, Charlotte's engine is still pretty good. So I could install that for you. And so I pushed it off a little longer because I was like, I'm going to go with this route because it was significantly cheaper but then Charlotte's engine started to act up and um, my, actually my grandpa, his love language is acts of service. So he's like, I'm going to help you find a mechanic. 
Um, cause I love German autos so, so much, but I always take the van to them for diagnostics because I can't afford them. And they do a great job and they tell me what's wrong. And then I like try to find someone more in my price range. Um, and we actually found, um, this man that they, his name's Mike and his nickname is the, the van doctor or the bus doctor. He works specifically on like Volkswagen bugs and, uh, Vanigans. And he is north of GR, um, in like the Rockford Cedar area. And he, we towed it to his house and he's going to rebuild the engine. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I have no idea how my grandpa found him because he's a, he's an engineer and he does it on the side. So, um, which is why I didn't find him in the first place, but I'm, I'm super happy that he was able to make that contact and yeah. So it is officially towed, which was one of the reasons that we put, we, uh, rescheduled the interviews because I was getting it towed that day. Did you have to hire a company to do that, to tow it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it luckily, um, where it was being stored was pretty fairly close. So it didn't end up being that much money, which was nice. So how long do you have to wait? Or is it kind of unknown just because of the type of project it is? It's totally unknown. Um, I haven't heard back from him. I think it's been like two weeks maybe since it got towed, maybe a week. Um, and I haven't heard anything back. So he is running tests on it himself and seeing what can be done. Um, rebuilding. So the options are, or what I was originally thinking was buying a new engine and then, um, through, go westphalia i think is the website um they have rebuilt engines on there and then i think you can sell them obviously pretty discounted your engine to them and then they would rebuild your engine and sell it off um so that's what i kind of thought was going to happen which would be probably a lot faster i would assume but i i don't know maybe the bus doctor works quickly we'll see (laughs) I know that he has a line of people. He did tell me that, that um, he has a line of people this summer that want their stuff worked on. But I very luckily was towards the front of the line, which was, he's like, the faster you get your van here, like the further in front you're going to be. So I was like, I will get it to you tomorrow. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So when did you originally purchase your van? And is the, is Westphalia the brand that it is? What? Yeah. Westphalia is the, um, type of Volkswagen that the, those vans are. So it's, um, it's tricky because it's a van again and, but it's a Westphalia. So the Westphalia are the pop tops. This is my understanding of it. Um, and then the vanigans are, the um the vans that are the same style but without the pop top what's tricky is that my van it's a weekender edition so it doesn't have the cupboards in the sink which i really enjoy and honestly prefer um but it says vanigan on it but it's a wolfsburg edition westphalia vanigan <laughs> which oh, is it took me What's that? I've never heard Vanagon. Yeah, that's what it says like on the van is um oh. it's a Vanagon. Interesting. Um and I bought it for myself for my 27th birthday. So I've had the van uh 5 years. Wow. Did you buy you know, it in Michigan? I did buy it in Michigan. Um but it came from Florida. So I bought it off of a man in Jackson who drove it from Florida. And I traveled out West. It was like 2014. I went out West in, um, 
in a Westie with that had the whole like covered setup and everything and went to the Black Hills, Badlands, um, Zion, and what other place? Uh, Moab. And absolutely fell in love with this fan. <laughs> and so when I came back, I was like, I, I need to have one of these. I need to get one of these because it just gave me so much joy. And so my uh, uncle actually, for fun, buys and sells cars. And I told him we were driving together. And I was like, I really want one of those fans because we had passed one. And he's like, I'll look for one for you. And uh, Lobo came up and it was an automatic, which to all of my shame, I don't know how to drive a stick shift. So... (laughs) It was an automatic. It was a weekender. So that meant that it didn't have the cupboards, which I really liked. Um, And it was in great shape. I mean, physically in great shape. It had all new upholstery and a new pop top, which in hindsight, I think is technically a red flag for possible flooding. Um, Because when I was driving away, the man was like, by the way, there's sediment in the fuel tank. So, yeah. (laughs) So the the first thing that I had to do is have the fuel tank taken off and cleaned out. And in hindsight, I should have just replaced it right away um, because I ended up replacing the fuel injectors um, like two different times uh, because they were just like mucked up. And also replacing the um, fuel filters and fuel pump, basically all systems that make it run, which is probably the root of why the engine ended up being so tired is my, my guess is it probably flooded in Florida. And that's why all of the upholstery and the pop top and everything was replaced. What year is the van? It's a 85. Nice. (laughs) I know. So it's water cooled, which is great. Um, so they don't overheat like the like the bay window vans. Very cool. When what was the first like trip or adventure that you took after you purchased it? The very first thing that I did was go to uh Hoxieville, which is a small music festival in northern Michigan <laughs> by myself. <laughs> nice. I was just like it gave, it offered me a lot of freedom, you know um, in safety. And I figure Michigan is pretty small. I'm like, I'll probably run into somebody that I know if not, um, it's fine. Cause I have this van and I got to go see some great live music and yeah, it was, it was really wonderful. Yeah. I, a couple of my really good friends go to Hoxieville like every single year and they have, since I've known them, I've actually never gone to it. It's very fun. I, I've gone to several music festivals and tend to enjoy um, the smaller ones. I think that Earthwork Harvest Gathering is one of my favorite ones. Um, and that's like in Lake City, I think. Um, it just, I mean, okay, so one year I had the, I had the van and like they have all of these different barns and stage setups and I actually saw northern lights we're like walk friends and I are walking back to our camp setup and like there's just the sky is green with northern lights at like four o'clock in the morning (laughs) it's just like a a magical kind of place yeah no I didn't know you could see any northern lights in Michigan I've seen red northern lights in Michigan wow which is wild. I've seen Northern Lights, I think, um, probably three times in Michigan. Uh, I've seen Green twice in the UP and in Lake City. And then I saw um, the red ones in Rockford in like a neighborhood, like in a cul-de-sac. <laughs> no way. Yeah. <laughs> that is so, I've, I've never experienced that there. That's amazing. 
where would be the first place you'd want to drive the van once you once you get it back and then she and it's good to go i think i gotta go out of state um so far lobo has treated me so well despite all of um you know the the running issues um so the farthest that i've gone is the up which it's so amazing to take a a van with a pop top to the UP because they have all these little dirt pull offs everywhere. So I've never gone with any sort of camping reservation. I just go, I'm like, you pull off the road, you stay there for the night and then like you keep moving. Um, but I think that I've always stayed in Michigan with Lobo because I've been too nervous for, for it to break, to finally break down for real. Um, somewhere out of state. I've been very fortunate that most of the time when it's, uh, broken down, I've been, I made it home. Nice. And then it kind of quits. <laughs> I was just like, thank you. Thank you, Lobo, for, for breaking down, like at our destination. <laughs> Very uh, fortunate. Yeah, that's, that would be intense. Um, that's exciting though, that the, like the engine getting rebuilt is going to give you that even more freedom with where you can travel to. Yeah. I'm so excited for it. Um, I really want to try mountain biking on a state and I think that that would probably be one of the first things that I do. Do you have a top rack on it or would you get like a back rack to put your bike on? So I've decided that I'm going to get a back rack, um, but in all of the paddleboarding and mountain biking adventuring I've done with Lobo, I have had no rack at all for it and everything goes inside the van. <laughs> so one of the beautiful things of the weekender and not having the cupboards is it sleeps more people. The table is bigger and like the table folds down flat to the wall. So I can pull out, I can put the table down and pull out the bottom bench and the storage space is enormous. And I have, I've been able to fit, um, camping equipment for a long weekend, um, two paddle boards and two mountain bikes and a dog in there all at the same time. Nice. <laughs> it's tight and like you definitely can't sleep with that kind of situation you gotta tuck the board like the boards under the <laughs> under the van but yeah everything can fit inside it's definitely a mover that's awesome what what's your dog's name i was trying to remember this last night is it bowie yeah it's bowie yeah. We okay. call him Bowie a lot. Um, so <laughs> it's uh, confusing, I'm sure, for people online that I call him like five different names. But he's, yes, Bowie. He's adorable. Oh, thank you. I he's, also he's love so you refer to him as a fruit bat because his ears yeah. really do <laughs> look like that. <laughs> Yeah, he looks like a fruit bat, but he also obsessively is upside down. Um, And he has done this like his whole life. He just turned two and he'll sit and then he'll whip his head back so that his head is upside down. Like he'll come and sit next to you, but his back will be turned to you. And then he'll flip his head back so that he is facing you, but upside down. And he's always sleeping upside down. He's just he's just very strange and just a little baby fruit bat. <laughs> he reminds me of um okay, the movie Fern Gully. Do you remember this movie? Oh, absolutely. Loved that so movie. The, yes, the the like main bat in it. I'm pretty sure he's a fruit bat also, but he's like the, right. he I'm kind of he kind of looks like him a little bit. And that's what it reminded me of. Like you had posted it on your story and I just thought that was adorable. He does look like him, especially because Bowie's very, uh, he's like graceful and 
like a very cute or handsome boy, but also a total doofus and like seems to hit his head every single day. Like we go backpacking and he'll wear, he has his own pack. He carries his own stuff and he's just like bounding through like the, you know, the woods and dunes and is so graceful. And then literally hits his head on every coffee table in the house. (laughs) And it always will like bite his lip so that he looks kind of goofy. So yeah, this is a very fitting fruit bat for him. Will you take him uh, camping with you in the van? Yeah, absolutely. He's been a couple of times for a a few UP trips. I wanted him to be able to do a variety of activities. So when I first got him, I really exposed him to a lot and got him on a paddleboard immediately. So he does pretty good on a paddleboard. It's kind of a problem, though, because <laughs> I can't paddleboard without him. Um, and if I'm paddleboarding, like at our, my uh, parents have a small cottage, like they have a cottage on a small lake. And if I take the board there and go without him, he'll swim after me. And then like dump me off the paddleboard trying to climb on. <laughs> but yeah, he will, he'll go camping. He... He's really just meant for that lifestyle. He does so well. What breed of dog is he? He's a German short hair pointer. Okay, that's what I thought. So he's a bird dog. Does it make you feel more safe having a dog around if you do go adventuring on your own? Absolutely. Yeah. I rarely do anything totally alone. Um all of the trips that I've gone, you know, by myself, I've, I've had a dog with me, whether it was Lucy who passed in 2020 or, or Bowie here. Um, it just adds like that extra layer of protection and they're great at alerting. And, you know, people tend to leave you alone too, if you have a pup. For, maybe ladies that don't have a dog, what would be like a key piece of advice if they wanted to go like adventuring on their own or maybe camp overnight by themselves? Yeah. Um, I definitely, if you can car camp, I think that that's probably the absolute safest. I have a friend, um, Amanda, who has kind of like one of those mini SUVs and I found these um, little air mattresses that are made for any type of SUV. So you can, um, and it's like a two section one so that you can inflate one section and like tuck the other side and have storage there, or you can inflate both and have a full bed in the back. And then they've got like these little covers that you can put over your window so you can crack your window and have um, a screen. And like, there's a way to make it so that it's very comfortable and you are, you feel like you're camping and you're still getting like some of the outdoor experience, but you're able to lock yourself in, which I think is really important for women wanting to travel alone. I know that there's women that do um, tent camp by themselves and backpack by themselves and, I think that is incredible and brave. And I think bear mace is probably a really good um, option for that, for extra protection, because it doesn't require proximity like regular mace does. I think bear mace, um, you can shoot that like a decent amount of feet away. Nice. Yeah. And then also share your location. So, um, I have a couple of friends that just always have my locations always turned on and they always know where I'm at. (laughs) Me too. Actually, I have a few girlfriends who also share theirs with me. It's, it's really nice because they Apple incorporated it into, uh, find your iPhone. So Mm -hmm. your friends, Apple section is on there, which I think is really great. So that's a really good, good point. That is great. And for people that don't want like, um, I don't know, for whatever reason, if you feel like sharing your location with someone, um, 
is like seems like lack of privacy. I have a friend, uh, Casey, that lives in Colorado, and her and I have our location shared with each other. And we just told our families, like, hey, if you know, if you're ever wondering where I am, like, Casey has my location. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And even like living overseas, I'm I share mine with my mom all the time because yeah, you know. Yeah. And just giving I, people information about like, hey, this is um like if you're if you're going out backpacking, this is my plan. This is the general area that I'm going to be in. This is when I plan on returning. Because a lot of times your phone um will go out of service. And I think that having that but like have a buffer of a projected return date so that if your loved ones like don't hear from you in a certain amount of time that it can be a red flag for them. Yeah. Yeah. And I like even just living overseas, like I haven't ever camped alone. I've always camped in groups or with another person. I've never done that by myself, but it's definitely something I, I want to do. Um, on the opposite hand, I've been able to travel quite a bit here by myself and that it's like a different type of traveling because obviously like I'm staying in hotels or Airbnbs or something like that. But, um, yeah, that's another reason why I share my location. And, uh, I, I don't have bare mace. Actually, mace is illegal in Germany. Like you're not allowed to have it. Really? Because it's considered a weapon. Like they're really um, strict about weapons and like knives. So I actually ordered this little like like resin knuckle. It's shaped like a cat, but it has like pointy cat ears on it. So I usually carry that. Um, But yeah, you can't buy mace here, which is so strange. It's incredible to hear the differences um, uh, in like other countries versus America and their thoughts around weapons and stuff. It's uh, probably safer there. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like my rule of thumb whenever I'm traveling to a new place or, you know, whatever is if I get one feeling of like, red flag or my intuition is like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not sure. I just leave. Oh like, yeah. I don't, That's I don't the most. Important. Yeah. The most important part I think of doing anything by yourself is to listen to your intuition. Um, yeah, you gotta listen to your gut. And if, if it feels right, keep going. But if you have like that kind of stomach drop where you're like nervous, then just leave, you know, you can try another time or just go somewhere else. And it's not, it's not a failed attempt if something like this happens, you know, and no. it, it's always, um, I feel that it, things like this can be a risk anywhere. So you just have to have like hyper awareness of what you're doing and where you are. And, um, Yeah. I think that's I know. awesome. It's a, it's a sad reality um, that, you know, humans um, have to think about. Um, but you can't let those negative possibilities hold you back from living in a way that brings you a lot of joy. So it's like, what kind of adjustments can we make to be a little bit safer, feel a little bit safer? Um, and it's probably a practice too, right? Like the first time I traveled alone, um, even though I was like meeting with some, meeting up with somebody else at my destination, it was a little nerve wracking, you know, now it's not. So I haven't ever, you know, tent camped totally by myself. And it is something that very much interests me as a challenge. Um, but it's probably something that like, the more you do it, the the less scary against. Did you grow up camping and kind of adventuring like you do now? No, I, I didn't actually. Um, <clears throat> it's funny. My mom has a, a, she has a magnet on her fridge that says my idea of camping is a hotel room. Um, <laughs> 
So I feel like very different than um, my family in terms of interests. My brother and dad would camp um, because they would hunt, but that wasn't something I was ever exposed to. So it's been really fun. Um, I think the first time I really went camping, I was 24 and immediately fell in love. I was on South Manitou Island and it was... Oh, hey, Bowie. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I like immediately started getting the gear and this whole uh, kind of adventuring world unfolded from like 24 to, you know, in my 30s. And it's been really fun because I have nieces and nephews and I, instead of doing birthday gifts or Christmas gifts, we do experiences where I like to introduce them to a bunch of different activities so that they can see and discover their interest um, as they grow and interests that they might not necessarily have been exposed to through family. Oh, I love how many nieces and nephews do you have? I have uh, four in total. Oh, I love that. I think that's what a cool way to just kind of like grow their little circle. I love that. Yeah. And it builds a lot of confidence too when you, um, I mean, think about the first time that you did something when you were little that brought you a lot of joy and that you were good at, you know, even if, even if you weren't good at it and you kept trying at it and got better like how much confidence that builds in in you and how fun it is to um try something new so it's it's been a really fun experience taking them I've taken them rock climbing camping and mountain biking and the mountain biking I think is really great for kids because it teaches them to really listen to their bodies like I gave them when I took them mountain biking for the first time, they were five, seven, nine, and 11, I think. Um, but I was like, this is dangerous. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You need to listen to your body. If you are scared to ride your bike over a rock or a route, or if like there comes a part in the trail where you're like, you don't think you can do it. Don't do it. Like hop off your bike, walk it over, and then hop back on, you know, cause it's like eventually like maybe some point you'll feel comfortable riding over it, but like it's dangerous. Listen to your body and, you know, take it slow and they all did great. Oh. Did you take them to like Cannonsburg or I, there, I love how many parks there are near Grand Rapids. Yeah. So the Rockford area has, um, <clears throat> they have like four mountain biking trails within 10 minutes of the downtown. And they also have the white pine trail that goes through the downtown. So it's very, very bike friendly. And um, I ended up taking them to Luton Park because out of all of there's, I think it's called Wafield. There's Merrill, there's Luton and there's Cannonsburg. And Luton is by far the best for beginners they have a kid's trail. They have like a blue and a green trail. And um, I like I think anyone can can ride those and do well at them. Where Cannonsburg, or at least the Cannonsburg State Game Area, that one I think is probably the most difficult of, the, of them all. Yeah, I took a nasty fall on Cannonsburg. Yeah. <laughs> this is... It had been like a couple of years since I had gone and I had taken a friend that was like newer to it on that one. And I was like, sorry, I forgot. Yeah. This one's actually hard. I'm pretty sure I learned at Luton because they have kind of like a pretty sandy trail too, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's where I learned a long time ago. Um, yeah, that's where I learned too. And I think it's a nice beginner trail. Yeah. And I like that there's like multiple loops as well that you can take. So you can like go Mm -hmm. out there with people and they can go ride like a harder loop or something like that. So, um, I really feel like your, your love for adventuring and your passion for that really ties into your environmental science degree. 
And I know one way that we connected in the past was we went to a a rally outside it and was it in Gary, Indiana? I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. it was a rig or something. Mm-hmm. Outside of Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. You messaged me and asked me if I wanted to go. And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> I, ever since I've known you, you've always been really active in just staying informed about the Great Lakes and anything that could impact essentially any Michigan, you know, wildlife or nature. Uh, where did you get your degree from? So I actually have a degree um, in, I have a BFA in fine arts, and then I have a minor in environmental studies because environmental science was offered at Grand Valley at the time. Um, which is, that is the route that I would have preferred over the studies. The studies part was very useful and interesting though. Um, so I ended up starting the environmental studies program and around the same time, um, the state of Michigan leased land to oil and gas companies for hydro, like high volume hydraulic fracturing exploration and the town I grew up in and also um, the Kinsburg State Game Area where we mountain bike. That's all leased land. And um, so it was all, and the White Pine Trail is also leased, which um, obviously they're not going to develop the White Pine Trail, but wanting that as a land lease to me says pipeline. Um, so I immediately started organizing around water issues and high volume hydraulic fracturing. And that's how my nonprofit was started, uh, Kent County Water Conservation. And I worked at that for eight years. Wow. Is it still up and running? It still exists. Um, I, what? I stepped back, I think, when the pandemic hit is when I started to take a break from doing that work. Um, We mainly worked with uh, water impacts from oil and gas. So we also worked around Line 5, which um, for listeners is a 64, 65-year-old pipeline that runs through the Straits of Mackinac. Um, which is the waterway that connects Lake Michigan and Lake Huron. It has very extreme currents and the pipeline was only projected to last 50 years. Um, it has had, it's already had leaks, but if there was to be, um, a, a break in the pipeline and an oil spill, it would be impossible to clean up and would be absolutely devastating. And what's, while is is a batch pipeline, so it carries both liquid natural gas and oil. And depending on how long the spill takes and what batch came out of the pipeline, the cleanup would be very different. So if it's an oil spill, then they would um, have to boom the area, which currently there's not enough boom to stretch the five miles between um, the upper and lower peninsula to catch it. But if it were to be the liquid natural gas, they would have to boom around this spill and then set it on fire. And like all the nearby towns would have to be evacuated. Um, So what we did with Kent County Water Conservation is we worked with community members and also did a lot of educational outreach with cities and um, townships to pass local ordinances against hydraulic fracturing and then to pass resolutions to shut down line five. And what's the current, like what's the current status of that? Was it shut down? Um, The current status is Enbridge and, um, Governor Whitner and uh, Donna Nessel, which is our attorney general, are fighting over um, a t- tunnel. They w- So Enbridge wants to build a tunnel around the existing pipeline. 
um, which environmental groups are saying, like, we don't want a tunnel. We don't want a future problem. Like, the Great Lakes make up the largest sur- freshwater, um, the largest surface body of freshwater in the world. It's like 20% of the world's freshwater. And we're like, our main goal is don't run like no oil, like through the straits. Don't, don't run any pipelines through the straits, go around, you know, um, they have other pipelines. There's a group called flow. It's for the love of water. They're a group of attorneys at Traverse city and they did a really great paper on all of the different alternatives, um, that could be done instead of running product through line five. You know, environmentalists at this point aren't even asking them to not have the product. It's just to move it so that it's not running through the straits. And um, the attorney general and governor both gave an order that they had to shut it down because technically uh, the Great Lakes are international waters. But because the pipeline is laying on the bottom lands, it's a Michigan call. And so they told him to shut it down and it's going to courts and they want to tunnel it and Enbridge isn't really complying. And so I think they have on Enbridge has on their website that they're going to be starting construction um, soon on the tunnel. So we'll see how it plays out. Do you think uh, Governor Whitmer has been supportive in trying to protect the Great Lakes or? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. She's been the most supportive um, governor in my lifetime, at least. Aside from maybe Granholm. Granholm was a part of signing the um, Great Lakes Water Compact, which was a very protective um, compact, except there was some loopholes in there that were, that were interesting, but, um, yeah, Grant Whitmer has done a great job at, at fighting for the Great Lakes. I think that with climate change and the United Nations came out with a statement that by 2030, half the world's population will be living in high water stressed areas. So I think that people are understanding, um, and a really, a much more significant way, the importance of freshwater systems and how we have to protect that. You know, it's a finite, it's our most precious finite resource, water, freshwater. So it's not worth risking our most precious finite resource for a temporary energy resource. Mm. Um, sorry, there was a word you used to describe the water, uh, not finite. It, I just didn't quite understand. Um, wow, I'm having a total brain fart at the moment of what you just said about lakes, water. Oh, you said, so that's one of my favorite facts about Michigan is that it is the largest, the Great Lakes are the largest freshwater source in the world, but you said it's like the surface amount of water that makes it yeah, the largest. It's the largest, it's the largest surface freshwater system in the world. Wow, so. Okay. Um, if you count, I think that there, there might be a one larger system. Um, let me see, but it's not. So what the distinction that makes the Great Lakes the largest is it's the largest surface body of fresh, all of them together. So when you're not, you know, saving the Great Lakes or getting your van rebuilt, you're working on your, uh, your art through it's, it's maybe underscore on, on Instagram. Yep. Yep. M-A-B-I-E underscore. And yeah, I, um, it's an interesting, (laughs) it's one of like the top questions that people have asked me when they hear about the, like the two different parts of my degree or what I do for work at being, um, art and environmental, um, activism or environmental justice. And 
They seem like they would be very opposite, but they have gone hand in hand in a really beautiful way and complemented each other, um, especially in the uh, nonprofit work. But yeah, so I, um, speaking of Great Lakes, um, love uh, Petoskey stones, which are this fossil that's only found in Lake Michigan. And I started embroidering Petoskey stones in 2020. And that has been the thing that the, that the people want most. (laughs) So I've been making a lot of them. Um, The largest one that I've made is uh, three foot by four foot. And and they, what's really cool about them is that it's, so I end up drawing, I take fabric, it's, it's fiber art and I draw the pattern on, and then I sew, um, lines in the, to make the, uh, Petoskey stone pattern. But when you hang it on a wall, because of the texture, they change like throughout the day, depending on how the sun is hitting it because it creates shadows. And then it's almost like they move in a way that's very, very interesting. And some people can see it's a Petoskey stone right away. Other people see pattern, you know, that I do make um, ones that are framed in embroidery hoops. So those ones tend to look a little bit more like the stones, but it's been a very meditative uh, practice that like repetition of, of sewing these Petoskey stones. Is that your favorite medium of artwork to work in with sewing? You know, it's something I come back to again and again. Um, I have so many interests and different mediums that I really love to work with. And I always end up coming back to sewing, which is funny because it's like one of the very first things that like I learned was like to draw and to sew. Um, I remember having my grandma teach me, I think I was like six years old. And the first thing I made was this really ridiculous, like, um, hat that held my dog's ears, (laughs) (laughs) like, a um, like little pockets for his ears. Um, and it's just a very strong memory and it's something I come back to over and over. So my senior show, I ended up finding this, um, book. I actually found it in 2012, which is quite a few years before I I graduated, but it's a scrapbook of this couple, Harold and Renee, and it has this like red, really ornate cover. And it's just all of these photos and postcards from them traveling to different national parks in the U.S. And the only reason I know their names is because they have, there was a postcard that they didn't send their friend Etta inside. And it says, Harold and Renee, April 4th, 1941. And I made my entire senior show, which was like a 26 piece show around them and images and things from, from this book that I had bought where I like scanned it in and like digitally manipulated it and then printed, um, the photos onto the fabric and then sewed and painted around them. And having that multimedia approach is what really, really interests me, but there always seems to be some sort of element of sewing. (laughs) Where was your uh, final art show? Did it, was it on division street by chance? It was. Yeah. Really? (laughs) I'm pretty. Did you know Andrew Kelly? He went to, um, yeah. Uh, God, what's the art school? Kendall. Yeah, I do know Andrew Kelly. Um, yeah, we, him and I dated briefly and I'm pretty sure he took me to your art show and that may have been maybe the first time, like I didn't necessarily meet you at it cause there were a lot of people and it was busy, but I remember cause it was kind of like they did those little storefronts on division street that mm-hmm. you could. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I came to yours. <laughs> That's wild. Um and so great. Yeah, that was Craft House at the time. Nice. And, uh, Tabitha Gibbs and I had a show and it was called All That Remains. And yeah, my 
my side was Harold and Renee, and it was all the embroidery hoops. It was like 26 different embroidery hoops kind of um, hung in a cluster. So you told me that you're working on your uh, your website right now. Are you currently just like working on commission? Do people contact you for like personal pieces of the Potosky yeah. stones? Yeah. Um, so right now, and since I started making the Potosky stones in 2020, I um, I've just been selling through Instagram or markets, which I mostly sell off of Instagram and, uh, people will DM me or email me if they have an interest in commissioning a piece and then, uh, work with them through that. But yeah, it's been, it's been really interesting. And I think that I had this moment where I was like, okay, well, if I'm having this like type of this level of success, just through DMS, I'm sure like if I created a website where people could buy the pieces immediately instead of also having to go through that DM process, um, then maybe it could be a, a business that really can grow. And where, where do you currently work? So I work for myself making art and I also work at plant shop, which is, um, my friend's shop on wealthy street. So I get to work with, um, with house plants all day, which is so awesome. And in college, I really would nerded out to soil science. And I currently am planning an event called Soil Shop on April 30th, where um, people can come and bring their house plants from home and uh, show them how to repot. And we'll pick out or make the type of soil blend that is specific to their plant. And it's, I'm really excited about it. We have Wormies. GR is going to be there. It's going to be great. Can I virtually attend this class? <laughs> <laughs> right? Like it's so it's so fun. And it's just like you're uh, people who people who say, "Oh, I'm a plant killer." It's like I I don't believe you. Like there's a plant out there for you. It's just like it's an interesting moment where you have to be a little realistic with yourself. Like, are you an over nurturer or an under? Because if it's under, then like a ZZ, a snake plant, or like a cactus or a succulent are going to be great for you. But if you're an over nurturer and you want to water it all the time, <laughs> you'll kill those plants. Like, you need a tropical plant, you know? Yeah. Um, so when people tell me they're that, they just can't do house plants. I'm like, no, we just need to find the right one for you and make sure the soils, uh, it's got the soil that it needs, the conditions that it needs. I think everyone can, can keep a house plant alive. And this is the plant shop that's like behind sparrows, right? No, it's, um, it's like across the street almost. It's right in front of it's a great across the street from 40 acres. So it's like kind of diagonal from sparrows. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's got a garage door. It's really, it's a really great shop and it's, um, it's been really fun and I've been able to use, you know, my art degree, um, through doing design work for office buildings where we do installations and stuff. And that has been really enjoyable. I love that. I always thought it would be so cool to work in like a greenhouse or even like a flower shop of some kind. Oh, it's, it's such a Zen job. And like I, by nature, um, and I don't know if this also is like art related, but I like, um, I'm a picker almost, or like, like the little details of things. And so like going through and like picking and like pruning plants it's incredibly satisfying. It's just a very calm space to work in. No, I couldn't agree more. I, ironically enough, today I was hitting a, a buddy of mine up about what type of soil I should repot like my biggest cactus in. And I haven't repotted it since I got it like over a year ago. And I went on this like wild goose chase to find succulent soil basically, or like, you know, mm -hmm something like this. And I had to go to like three different German stores and like show them my Google translate of like succulent soil. And I'm looking at them like, 
I don't know. <laughs> but I ended up finding some. Um, so I actually have a bunch of plants that I need to to repot. So I love that you're doing a soil class because I, I feel like I have a decently green thumb. I have a lot of indoor plants, but knowing the soil and I, I think I go back and forth. I think I'm an over nurturer. I've never thought of it I that way. <laughs> yeah. I need plants that need a lot of water, you know, like that they need attention and love because I'm a succulent killer, you know? <laughs> Me too. I kept killed. Like I have, yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a jade killer and an aloe killer just mm-hmm. naturally. So those are just different versions of succulents. Like it's a tree <laughs> succulent, <laughs> you know, and like a, like a bush succulent. <laughs> They're not my friend. I do well with cac- cactus, though. So well, I don't great. know what I can, where I'm going wrong with that. I'll have to. I come home in May, and I'm. I need to come into that plant store. It's just so oh, hard. Yeah. There. I'll have to come in there. Yeah, and just you look at things. So you'll be able to travel back with it. I know. <laughs> yeah, Bowie's, Bowie is there with me. He's a great. He's a great shop dog. He. Uh, He's so this breed of dog is um kind of notorious for being insanely hyper and I just have been very lucky that I've had two german short hairs in my life that aren't like when and when it's time to run like he can run and he can really he can go but he is a pretty sleepy boy um he's sleeping next to me right now and when we go to plant shop he just sits on the couch and looks out the window and naps all day. Oh, <laughs> I know when kids come in, he is like, let's play, you know, but, um, he's, he's kind of the perfect shop dog. I'm very fortunate that I get to bring him with me because he is also a pandemic puppy. So, um, the separation anxiety is, it's is real. a real thing. <laughs> it's alive and well. <laughs> Well, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. And I, I just really love this lifestyle that you created, that you're self-employed and, you know, that you, you bought this van for your birthday. I think that's super badass. And that's a huge motivator for me. I sometimes envision myself coming back to the States instead of buying a house, having a van and then later buying a house. So yeah, home on wheels first. Right. Um, I know we've covered a lot of different topics um, today, but I just want like to really reiterate to your listeners that it had like Lobo has been an expensive um, purchase or like something I've put a lot of work into, but I've never regretted it at any point in time. And I've learned I have just such a, a level of patience when it comes to the van, um, it's, it's a slower pace of life. It's, um, so far van life for me has looked a bit more like weekend van life where it's like, I'm, you know, in the city and working a job or like working on art and then taking trips, but like it's accessible for people. And I think that it's a really great option, um, for people that want to travel and can't necessarily, you know, fly away on these big trips. It's great because I can have all of my camp stuff kind of live in Lobo and it makes it really easy to just get up and go and be spontaneous. And it just is a very joyous and peaceful part of like addition to my life. Um, so if anyone is like considering it and really hemming and hawing about it, I I think that you should go for it. Um, I've ne- never once have I have I regretted it, even when it hasn't run. <laughs> it's always <laughs> it's always been a joy. It's always been something that I love, and and it just is so like comforting and feels like home. And I'm also excited to. Um, I've started doing art markets and I, once Lobo is up and running, I think that I'm going to build a, a setup so that I can 
just drive Lobo up to these outdoor markets and have, have like Lobo be a part of displaying art and like a part of my business. I can already envision like a cool table set up with like some type of awning and some cute little sign that you can just like hang on the outside of it. And that's your, like you have a store on wheels. I love that. Right. Right. I think that it'd be so great and like easily recognizable and um, also really good for the chili art markets. I did one in Grand Haven that was so cold. I ended up leaving a little bit early because I was like in a wind tunnel where, (laughs) you know, you'd like be protected from the elements a little bit. Um, It's definitely, yeah, the, the van life, it, that I've experienced maybe looks different than the van life that people see online, but it's, it's accessible for people who have jobs during the week. And it's um, hopefully can give people a little bit of hope of like, Oh, I can, I can have this thing that I want in my life and also kind of keep what's currently happening too. Could you ever see yourself like transition transitioning to that lifestyle fully? Or do you think like the weekend van life is your sweet spot? Oh no, I, I feel like I need to transition to it fully, or at least like even if it was just a couple of months, you yeah. know? I just there's a part of me that that needs it. And that's like that space is where I really thrive. I will say the type of van that I have is really beautiful for one person and a dog. It gets a lot more difficult storage wise when you have two people, unless you are living very minimally. Um, but the van does sleep four. Um, so it has like the sleeping room. It's just, just like the, the stuff that you bring with you room is a little tighter than like, um, a transit van or, or a school bus. Um, but yeah, I definitely think that I need, need to have that in my life at some point and I'm going to manifest it. I also have a dream of treating it like my own artist residency. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just like a mobile artist residency. <laughs> I love it because once you get that engine rebuilt, you could drive to so many different art markets like around the country. Like you could, the opportunities are endless. Right. And I can make site specific work. Like I started filming, um, like taking this fabric that I make the Petoskey stones with. It's, it's not quite canvas. It's kind of like a, it looks like canvas, but it's like a denim almost. So it's more forgiving when you sew through it. But I've been taking that to different places that I travel to and just kind of working with the elements to see what would happen like with natural dyes. Like when I was in the UP, um, I like put like rubbed it on some of those red rocks to see like, you know, what will happen if I just use nature with this fabric and make site specific art, you know, um, And so like that really interests me as well when I think about the possibility of using my van as a mobile artist residency because I could travel to different places that have very different um, elements, you know, like go to Moab where where they have super red rocks or like go to um, the East Coast where it looks entirely different. and make work that is very specific to that place and just kind of see what, what comes of it, like what the art looks like when I use nature in different ways with um, the materials that I have. I love that. And I, I just think it's so unique. I think that you've just really set yourself up to be successful in whatever you do. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> and really quick, uh, before we wrap up, why don't you tell listeners where they can kind of see what your art's getting up to or what the van's getting up to? 
Yeah. So I, my website is maybe art studio and it's M A B I E artstudio.com. And then, um, I also have an Instagram, which is maybe underscore and Lobo has an Instagram, which is Lobo Westphalia. Um, and that Instagram is a bit newer in regards to not so many posts, but once the once the van's up and running, then we'll get we'll get more content on there. Awesome. That's exciting. You'll have to keep me posted about the van and thank you so much for taking time out of your your day off from the plant shop to chat with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for talking with me and um, showing Lobo some love. I really love that van and love talking about the van. So it's it's been a great experience. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Lunar Cat's final episode of Van Life. Shout out to Stephanie Maybe for coming on and giving us a lowdown on the weekend adventure van life style. Uh, I can't wait to hear about her Lobo getting back on the road. Uh, Super pumped for you and Bowie to be able to go on another adventure together. If you were interested in checking out Stephanie's artwork, give her a follow at hashtag maybe, M-A-B-I-E. And for a glimpse at her stellar van, check out her hashtag Lobo Westphalia. L-O-B-O-W-E-S-T-F-A-L-I-A. Be sure to follow Maybe, M-A-B-I-E, and Lobo Westphalia. Thanks again for tuning in. Stay cool.